Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brandt. In this episode, we're going to New York and it's going to get noisy. It's the Sonic Youth LP, Confusion is Sex, SST96. Brandt, you're a bigger fan of Sonic Youth than I am. And this is one of those Sonic Youth albums that I never really got into. I've listened to it probably more this week than in my entire life. <laughs> So it's uh, it's been an interesting week, and I'm interested to uh, discuss this record. Yeah, it's not a big one for me either. I'm like a lot of people. I'm a Gen Gen X dude, so I got into Sonic Youth in the early '90s with Goo and Daydream Nation and Dirty. So Same here. I did go backwards, but not that not generally this far back. I mean, I've had this album forever but it's not a go-to for me so it was an interesting listen for me too it's been yeah. a it's been a long time since i listened to it yeah i i honestly can't remember when i listened to it last i i i bet you i bought it well over 10 years ago listened to it once maybe twice um and have come back to it every few years and it hasn't really grabbed me so Interesting. I, I definitely heard things, though, this time around that I didn't hear in the past. So that's kind of where my head is at. I only have a couple of micro spiels before we get into the show, if that's all right. Let them rip. One thing is a recommend. I always tend to recommend, I guess, old stuff, like not new releases. I mean, I guess I had a few new release recommends a while back, but I always tend to come up on something that's unexpected at the record store. But let me try this one on for you. I, do you remember when uh, we were at this record fair the last time, and I bought this single that had Jay Robbins on it mm. called Rolliker Rolliker Laydown. Remember that one? I do. Yeah, and that was a good single, right? It was. So I came up on another single on DeSoto Records that has Jay Robbins on it, and it's good. It's uh, this band called Jack Potential. Ever heard that one? No, never. So this is another one from... Cool name. Yeah, way back. Seems to have been recorded in 1993. And Jay Robbins is just on bass. And there's a bunch of guys that, that have been in a ton of other bands. But the main guy, I think, most well-known person other than Jay Robbins, I think, is probably the singer Matt Berger or Berger who was in a couple of bands, one called Damnation AD, mm -hmm. kind of well-known back then in the hardcore hardcore era, I suppose, and then another band called Worlds Collide. But it definitely sounds like DC post-hardcore type stuff, really groovy, and it definitely fits that DeSoto Discord sound in the 90s. And so if you ever find this one for a couple of bucks i'd recommend you pick up this one too jack potential okay on that same um type of music i i tweeted you something earlier this week about this band called deep snapper brand mm -hmm. remember that one yeah so this is a band that i i can't even remember how they were tipped off to me it was one of these uh, websites that I subscribed to or whatever someone was like hey you should check out this band called Deep Snapper and I went and checked them out on YouTube and I was like wow that's pretty good so I basically just ordered all of their discs for a couple of bucks a piece because they're all used and no one 
seems to know anything about them. But the thing that caught my attention that I passed on to you, they've got four records or four CDs anyways. And there's this one called Into the Ugly. And on the back, it says this. And I thought this was, I was just kind of thinking like, part of the reason that we started this podcast is because everywhere you turn, there is an SST connection, Mm -hmm. you know? It's like you cannot avoid it. If you, you just have to look a little hard and you're going to find an SST connection in music these days. And I stumbled across this one, this record by Deep Snapper, Into the Ugly. On the back, it says, quote, we make music because of D. Boone, Mike Watt, George Hurley and Ed Crawford. I thought that was cool because these guys sound nothing like any of those bands. They actually sound like a a DC post-hardcore band, but they're from Texas, so they definitely have some Texas noise sound to them. But I thought it was a great SST connection. We're going to be coming up on Firehose again um, with the Ifin record, and it just made me more pumped for that. Plus, I thought some of our listeners, if they haven't heard of Deep Snapper, they would really like this band. All all four of their CDs, actually, like... Um, uh, Jeff Kaplan from Too Many Voices would probably like this band. Randy Larson from Empty Flowers probably like this band. Recommend Deep Snapper. Um, all this stuff, though, is like from you know 2007 to 2011. I cannot find anything on them on the web, and hmm. they seem they seem to have been broken up or inactive for at least seven or eight years now. It's too bad. Hmm. Someone out there who's listening to this knows who Deep Snapper is, and they'll tell us all about them. You wait. Yeah, that'd be great to find out a little bit about them. I mean, that's not to say that there is zero out there, but there's really nothing of any sort of substance out there. They just kind of talk about them being off and on and from Texas. Nothing really about, like, who the guys are, what bands they were in before or after. Nothing on, like, nothing on Discogs or anything like that, so... Mm -hmm. Anyways, a couple of old recommends. I really like them, and I'm in like this uh, DC post-hardcore swing this week, along with Sonic Youth. Cool. What else do you have? That's it. Okay, well, I kind of have one related to what you were just saying about a SST connection, how there is SST connections everywhere, everywhere. you look. So yeah. do you remember the name, the name Herb Leno? I don't. Okay, so Herb Leno uh, was in a band called Dead Issue, who changed their name to Dark Side and recorded a wicked track called Rights Right for the Desperate Teenage Love Dolls soundtrack. I believe we picked, we may have picked it as our ballot result. Yeah, no, I, I remember that. I, I remember Dark Side now for sure. Okay, so Herb Leno, uh, Jordan Schwartz, our friend of the podcast, hipped us to, to Herb. Herb was in a band with Scott Reeder. Uh, their first band together was called Subservice, 1980-81. A guy called Mike Bates was in the band, and he left that that band, Subservice, to form Uniform Choice, Ooh. which was the name of one of their songs, a Subservice song. He's had a, a bunch of bands. One band I think I told you about last time we talked about Herb was called Decon. Yeah. They have a, an album called Balls for Day, Days. It's Brant Bjork from Caius. Brian Maloney from Unsound, and Billy Cordell from Yawning Man. Yeah, I have since tried to locate it, and you cannot find it for, like, less than $30 US. Really? So, yeah, so I just listen to Decon on YouTube from time to time now. 
Okay, well, I got a package in the mail from Herb Leno. Sorry, no decon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did you get any good uniform choice? I love that record, Screaming for Change. No, I don't think he had anything to do with uniform choice, but ah, it, was, it was really nice to get this in the mail. It was a while ago I talked to Herb, so it came as a real, real nice surprise. And uh, so there was, there's a few albums in here. One's called Del Padres. Another one's called Half Astro. These are the names of the bands. And then this one is his new project. It's called Herbert. Remember, Jordan Schwartz was telling us about Herbert. This is what I got from Herb himself. Herbert is basically everything I've wanted to do musically, but couldn't do in the various punk bands I've been in. It's based on the guy that used to play piano at Shakey's Pizza Parlor I used to love as a 70s kid. A mixture of campy, creepy, and rockin'. I've gotten played on Dr. Demento three times so far and by Ron, Rodney Bingenheimer once. Remember there was a video of Herbert doing Pink Turns to Blue? I do remember that actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Herbert. It's just him and like... He looks like a barbershop quartet dude with a creepy mask. And he, oh, yeah. pl he plays like an organ in front of a giant flashing H. So this album is on, check out the name of this label. I'm, sh I'm assuming this is Herb's label. Diminished Posterior Records. Huh, good one. Yeah, the album's mastered by Giza X. You can find them on herbsorgan.bandcamp.com. He does a mixture of originals and covers. He does uh, Do You Want to Touch? Woke version. <laughs> this sounds so much like something I want to check out. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Uh, he does Paint It Black by The Stones. Uh, Hendrix, Burning of the Midnight Lamp. There's a cool song called Dumb Donald's Face. You can probably guess who that's about. And he does the Husker Du song, uh, Pink Turns to Blue, on here as well. Del Padres and Half Astro were bands that uh, he played with in Friends uh, from the desert scene. Herb did all the writing. The Half Astro album has uh, Tony from The Adolescents singing on some of it. And Derek O'Brien from Social Distortion recorded it. Nice. That's a good surprise. The other thing I wanted to mention is this book. I think I mentioned this on our summertime episode. It's the 33 oh, yeah. and a third B-sides. You know the 33 and a third books. This is like a condensed version of those. Like each album or whatever you want to call it is super short. It's like two, three pages. But it's got uh, a really cool thing on Negative Lands, Escape from Noise by this guy, Kembrew McLeod. And these are all people that have done other books in the series. They do The Range Rats. Do you know what that is? I don't. That's uh, Fred Cole and Tootie's from Dead Moon. That's their oh, like country oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that one now. Yep. Yeah. It's got all kinds of stuff. Ian Dury and the Blockheads Laughter, Scritty Politti, a bunch of stuff I'm not really into. You know, Green Day's American Idiot, the original Broadway cast recording. Yeah, I'm not into that either, man. Various Artists <laughs> Casino soundtrack. But it's also got, like, Rites of Spring, Jane's Addiction, Nothing Shocking, New York Dolls, Too Much Too Soon, and, oh, Weaker Thans, Left and Leaving. You're probably into that one. Oh, that's cool. Any uh, uh, Rodan? You know? like yeah, 
yeah, our friend Michael T. Fournier does Rodan's Rusty, and he knocks it out of the park. Yeah, there's a uh, a new Rodan coming out right away on Touch and Go Records, like of old unreleased tracks. Oh, really? Looking forward to that one. Yeah. Love me some Rodan. Yeah, well, his his little piece on Rodan is, is pretty bitchin'. Right on. It's 33 and the third B-Sides. Is that the one that... Uh, I seem to recall when you mentioned it, it has something in it about like writing tips or something. Is that the one? That's a different 33 and a third book. It's called how to oh, write okay. about music. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what that book's about. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have, Ryan. You want to talk about this album? Yeah. Let's get confused. History lesson, part one. It's funny you said that, Ryan. I was thinking this this is going to be somewhat confusing because, you know, for a lot of these bands, like Me Puppets, for example, we kind of started at the start. So when we're going through their history, it's, it's really chronological. But with Sonic Youth, we've already done Evol and Star Power. Evol's their second full-length. This is their first full-length, and next week we're doing their first EP. So if it's like the year, you know, 2025, and this is still up on the internet, maybe skip ahead in an episode, and then then come back to this one. (laughs) Will we be done in 2025? (laughs) Depends if we take any more breaks, I guess. Yeah, so it's in t- so it's all in your hands now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So, anyways, we're going to be skipping a- around a little bit. We did though go through a bit of the origins of Sonic Youth on the f- the other two episodes, though. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Like people can go back and just check out the first uh, like history lesson part one on those, and then can kind of get caught up for this one too. Maybe, and I should say I. I never go back and listen to those episodes, so, you know, we might be repeating ourselves, but I, I don't think so. We last heard Sonic Youth on episode, well, I was going to say 59, Evol, but probably Star Power. Actually, I'd kind of forgotten about that EP. You had a real Brant's rant about that one. About Star Power? Oh, being a cash grab. Yeah, you totally ranted about that one. <laughs> That's uh, SST80 for everyone who wants to go back and hear a good rant. Okay, so next week, as I mentioned, we'll be doing their self-titled debut EP. Uh, But this one leaves them uh, moving on from that EP, and they're searching for a new drummer after, after the departure of Richard Edson, which we'll be getting into next week. So they started putting up flyers, and they get a call from this New Jersey native, Bob Bertelli. Uh, who had seen Sonic Youth perform a few times and had heard the EP. And he, of course, would go on to be shorten his name to Bob Burt. Around this time, they're playing a lot with Swans and also really getting into hardcore, Thurston in particular, and their sound is kind of toughening up. Here's a little story that I found in the Goodbye 20th Century book. Lee and Thurston had apparently gone to see Black Flag around this time, and Greg Ginn and Chuck Dukowski turned around and like faced their speakers to make their guitars feedback. It says in the book, Ronaldo and Moore were immediately inspired and began thinking of ways to incorporate that approach into their sound. 
thought that was cool. Yeah. That's the, uh, the David Brown book, right? Goodbye 20th Century. Yeah. And Bob Burt's book, by the way, which sold out super fast is being, uh, they're doing a second edition of it. It's on Hozak, you know, that record label. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. Cause Bob went to play in a, a few other bands too, of some notoriety. Yeah. Like Chrome Cranks for sure. And wasn't he in Pussy Galore? I was going to say that, but I wasn't sure if he was. What else would it have been if it wasn't Pussy Galore? That sounds right. Let's go with that. Okay. <laughs> so I mentioned they were playing with Swans. They did this tour with them called the Savage Blunder Tour. And they started playing some of the songs that would appear on this record. I should mention, I was just talking about Greg and Chuck. They weren't actually on SST at this time in 1982. I'm assuming most people listen to this, listening to this know this, but this is... This was reissued by SST in 1987. Yeah, it was originally released on Neutral Records. So that tour with Swans was super bare bones, and Thurston felt Bob wasn't as ambitious as the rest of them were. And when they got back home, they fired him. They rehearsed with a few other people, didn't really work out. And in 1982, Thurston ended up playing on a Lydia Lunch album called In Limbo, and uh, they meet this drummer, Jim Sklavunos, at the sessions. And he was a bass player in Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. And Lydia had recommended him to Thurston as a possible drummer for Sonic Youth. So around this time, they're getting frustrated with Neutral Records, who put out their, their debut EP, which we'll be talking about next week. And they decided to call up Wharton Tears, who we just talked about last week, Ryan. Yeah. With Das Domin. And if you want to actually hear that phone call... Here's a cool tidbit. If you can track down the Candle EP, which came out in Enigma, on Enigma in 1989, you know that song Candle off of uh, Daydream Nation? Yes. So they did like a 12-inch EP for that, and there's a bunch of live live recordings. That, okay. And it says on the LP jacket they come from the Henry Rollins tape archive. <laughs> like, can you imagine how much awesome unreleased stuff henry has he definitely brags about his tapes yeah he's he's i wonder though about like some of the stuff that he has about how much is unreleased like i i guess the thing that comes to my mind is if he's got that much good stuff why doesn't he work on releasing it i know he doesn't have his label really releasing stuff but i mean if it's so good why don't you share it? Well, I think Why a lot. He, I think a lot was recorded with a tape recorder. Yeah, but even still, I don't know. You know how the Fugazi guys have like every live show up, you know, basically for free. I, I bet you Henry could put all of his tapes up, that type of thing. That'd be great to just to document it, you know, and share it. Yeah, it would be cool. Uh, anyways, that Candle EP has the phone call on it of Lee Ronaldo calling. Wharton Tears in 1983 and asking them, you know, to record this. So the idea was that they wanted to do a, a seven inch because they were really into hardcore. Thurston was really into hardcore and all these hardcore bands are doing like these DIY singles. And that's what, that's what Sonic Youth wanted to do. So they're asking Wharton Tears about, cause he had done one already and they were asking him, you know, where he got it pressed, how he did the covers and he's telling them about how he, you know, bought these really awesome glue sticks and like glued all the covers together and stuff. It's pretty interesting. 
I'm, I'm not sure how it ended up on that candle EP, but apparently it's it's the phone call where where they where they called Wharton to get him to do this, and he had a small uh, recording studio in the basement of a building he worked at as a superintendent. That's Fun City Studios, and it, I found this interesting thing in Kim Gordon's book uh, where she's talking about when they were recording with Wharton, he would turn off the boiler, you know, because this was down in the basement of this this apartment complex that he was a superintendent for. So he, he would turn off the boiler, you know, to quiet it when they were recording. And years later, Kim was getting interviewed with uh, Julie Caffritz from Pussy Galore about their free kitten side project. And one of them men- mentioned him turning off the boiler way back when. And one of the tenants from that building read the interview and Wharton Tear got fired. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they knew Wharton from the scene. He had drummed in, in the band Theoretical Girls. Here's from the, the book Sonic Confusion. Or sorry, Psychic Confusion. That's the Stevie Chick book about Sonic Youth. Uh, and this is from Jim. The studio was very makeshift. They wanted it to be a bass-heavy record, but they did all of their mixes on a system that didn't represent the bass very well. So Jim ended up leaving the band shortly after the sessions. Apparently he was convinced that the the amateurish setup at Wharton's would result in an unplayable record, and they asked Bob Burt back into the band. Thurston and Lee were headed over to Europe to tour with Glenn Bronca, and they planned to try and book a Sonic Youth tour while they were over there, and they asked Bob if he would be willing to go with them. And he's quoted as saying, I made them promise me that if that it wouldn't cost me anything and that, and that they wouldn't fire me again. <laughs> Reasonable conditions. Yeah. As I mentioned, around this time, the band and Thurston in particular had really gotten into hardcore. The sound of the record and even the like the Xerox-style art on the cover was a bit of a, an homage to the early DIY hardcore 7-inch. And like I said, the idea was to do a 45 and kind of appeal to the, to the hardcore crowds. And the plan was to record Confusion is Next, Shaking Hell, and Making the Nature Scene as a single. And they ended up just keeping on recording and it kind of morphed from a single into an EP and then to a full-length album. We'll probably talk about this more when we get into the tracks, but the production of the album was apparently plagued by problems. It took them three months to record. I read a thing where in one of these books where it says a can of Coke was accidentally spilled on the master tapes and allowed to soak in. Oh, that's weird. I read, uh, I think I read it in the Goodbye 20th Century book about how a can of pop was like spilled on the like the mixing board hmm. or something must have yeah. been a lot of must have been a lot of sodi pops they were drinking a lot of pop yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh the guy that's listed as like an engineer on this John Erskine he'd been introduced or he had introduced himself to the band after a show and was like their live sound man so that's that's how he came into the picture. I think he was like helping them set up their gear in Wharton's studio, which is described in the books as like a narrow sliver of space with an oil slick across the cement floor. Yeah. Found a good quote about the album by Grail Marcus, who also does the liner notes on this uh, DGC reissue. This is in the Confusion is Next book. I heard in that record a kind of extremism, a kind of nihilism, that I wasn't hearing anywhere else at that time. So what version of this record do you have? I've got like an OG SST 
CD. Hmm. I just have the DGC reissue. And that's got good liner notes in it? Well, that guy, Grail Marcus, who's written for like... Oh, yeah. Pitchfork and Rolling Stone and everything. He does the liner notes for it. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the tracks? Sure. History Lesson, Part 2. What do you think, Ryan, of the production on this album? Uh, I think the best quote that I found that really made it... I don't know. That quote that I found that made the most sense to me was grim ambiance. And that that's... That's what I think. The thing that really struck me about this record, we mentioned it a moment ago about the bass sound. The bass does not sound that good to me. Yeah. It sounds like like floppy dead strings playing with a super flexible pick. It's not the greatest sound. And, and that's, that's the thing that kind of stuck out to me this time around. I don't know. The drums sound I, really terrible too. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is like, I suppose with time, all of these things that we are picking out now is part of the sound of this record, right? Oh, the sound of the record so totally suits like the vibe. Yes, of the, of the songs. It's so New York. It's yeah. so um, moody, grim ambiance. I don't know how to say it any better. It's yeah. really like it's pretty dire. It's not, <laughs> you know, it's it's. Uh, it's very, very stark, shocking sometimes when you pay attention to like what they're actually doing. Weird record. In one of the books, I didn't write this down, so this is not a direct quote, but I seem to recall reading that Jim put the needle down on a test pressing and it was the bass was so overdriven that the needle just skipped across the entire record. <laughs> <laughs> Can that even happen? I guess so. I don't know. Some, they need to adjust like their anti-skate probably. Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's like. Put a penny on your needle, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're phasing out pennies in Canada here for the last few years, but I still have a clutch of pennies for that one, <laughs> that one warp record that I need it for. Yeah. We'll start with side one. Again, this came out originally on neutral records in 1983. And then a German label pressed it in 84 called Zenzor. And then SST reissued it. Those were both only on LP. And then SST reissued it on CD, cassette, and LP in 1987. When I mentioned earlier that I've never really gotten into this record, I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, but I'm pretty sure that this is the first time this week that I ever realized that the track list on the back cover is not the actual track list on the record, like when you listen to it. Like track number one on the CD and on the back is Inhuman, right? Right. And that is uh, obviously She's in a Bad Mood is track number one, but that's listed as track number seven on the back of the CD. Let's do it in the order that they're actually played on the record. So yeah. the actual first track is, like you said, She's in a Bad Mood. The title of it was apparently prompted by Thurston's dealings with Lydia Lunch. <laughs> he says in one of the books she made bad mood into an art form yep i read that too it's kind it's... of like this classic sonic youth kind of creepy dirge again the overall vibe of the entire album is very dark the production is murky but it kind of suits the songs but i couldn't help thinking as i listened to it like if they would have stayed like this they never would have gotten 
as popular as they did. No, but they, I think if they didn't grow or progress, they would have gotten bored and quit. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the next track track is called Protect Me You. This one has Lee playing bass, the only time he's ever played it on a Sonic Youth recording. And again, Lydia Lunch was the inspiration for Kim's lyric. She says about being innocent and being ravaged. That's a very haunting song. Kim's vocals are always really unique and they're very expressive. And this one in particular, very haunting this time around for me. Yeah, I love when Kim sings. Parts of this song remind me of a, a Sonic Youth song that came way later called Bull in the Heather. Oh yeah, that's a yeah. good tune. Yeah. Track three, Freezer Burn slash I Want to Be Your Dog. This one has Bob Bird on drums. It was recorded at the pier in Raleigh, North Carolina during that Savage Blunder tour that I mentioned with Swans in November of 1982. Uh, it was recorded on the second night of the tour, I read in one of the books, and Thurston's playing bass in it, so Kim must have just just sang. first part of it is called Freezer Burn. They recorded that inside a walk-in freezer of a deli down the street from the recording studio. They went down to the deli. It was uh, John Erskine, the, the you know their sound guy, and Lee Ronaldo. They went down to grab, grab something to drink or whatever, and they they heard the refrigerator sound. So they came came back with a Walkman, and recorded it because they liked the the sound of this this freezer or whatever, which is hence the title Freezer Burn. That freezer was in Raleigh. No, no, that was down the street from the recording studio. Oh, okay. Yeah, like the first part of this song is like a studio instrumental and then it cuts over to I Want to Be Your Dog, the live recording. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this Stooges cover though. It's interesting because nobody was really talking about the Stooges, I don't feel like, in the early 80s, you know? Yeah, well they had fizzled 10 years ago or something like that and I think people were getting into, like this is 83, this record was recorded, right? Yeah. The Stooges, I don't, you know, I, and I mean, look, I wasn't there, but based on what I've read, it sounds like those Stooges records really started to percolate up through the underground later than 83. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like, obviously there was people listening to him. If you, if you read Get in the Van, Henry's talking about Black Flag listening to Funhouse and how it's his favorite record and stuff. But you didn't really start hearing the Stooges get dropped name dropped in interviews until like Seattle. Yeah. And definitely. and even more in the last 10 years. Yeah, I agree. But the liner notes to this uh DGC reissue he really focuses Mar Grail Marcus really focuses on this cover of I Want to Be Your Dog. I've mentioned this compilation before but the Screaming Fields of Sonic Love DGC comp that came out in 19 1995 when they bought all the the rights to the SST catalog. It's a compilation of all that stuff. At the time, I don't know if this ever came out on DVD. I have it on VHS. They released all the videos from back then. And there's a, a TV show called Night Music that they were on in 1989. They do I, I Want to Be Your Dog on there with David Sanborn and the Indigo Girls. And, like, <laughs> and David Sanborn's band. It's pretty cool to watch. It's on YouTube. There's like a, a dude on a keytar. Nice. And also a guy playing flute and he like smashes it at the end like a like Pete Townsend style. 
<laughs> and there was also footage on there. I'm sure this is on YouTube too. In fact, I know it is because I've watched it since then from that same 1989 episode of they're doing the song Silver Rocket, which was on uh, Daydream Nation with Don Fleming from Gumball. That's cool. Yeah. I think they were hanging with him at the time because he did the goo demos. Don Fleming did. Right. And there's also footage on that VHS of them doing I Want to Be Your Dog with the egg himself in 1987 at a club in London called The Town and Country. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's worth checking out. Yeah. Track four, Shaking Hell. Apparently a superior version of this was accidentally erased after the recording. Uh, so they went to an early cassette version of it to get the uh, the original version. That was like the only existing version, probably like a rough mix that they did or whatever. Kim singing in the song for me, for some reason, this time around, it reminded me of like Nico and the Velvet Underground a bit. Oh yeah, I can see that. Wasn't this, I, I read something that this song was recorded for a film rock my religion or something uh well this guy dan graham who kim talks a lot about in her book she was kind of like his artistic mentor or whatever he was an artist from new york uh he was doing a film and he was researching this uh like early united states religious cult called the shakers yeah and that's the one yeah she talks a lot about this song and her performance on it in her book here's a quote from there she says it mirrors my struggle with my own identity and the anger I felt at who I was. The line, take off your dress and shake off your flesh, was about male corporate control in advertising. And then we flip it over and we're at the song Inhuman. I read that Thurston plugged his mic into a broken amp to make his voice sound more distorted on this one. This one I really liked, actually. It, I thought this one sounded like something the butthole surfers could have done. Yeah, maybe. kind of starts with a train wreck beginning. Yeah with uh, some dissonant singing there, all distorted. I could see that. I know this one better than most of these other songs because it, it was on that compilation that I was just talking about earlier. Uh, the second track on side two, The World Looks Red. Here's a Stevie Chick from his book when he's describing this song. Hammered together a primordial throb from angular abrasions. Ooh. This one's cool. There's neat sounds coming from the guitars. They almost sound like keyboards at times. I liked this one a lot. And uh, Michael Jara from Swans wrote the, the lyrics to this one. He reused these lyrics too later on in another Swans song. I'm, I'm reading that book still, almost done. And I recall uh, reading something about how the song where he wrote the lyrics for Sonic Youth, he reused those lyrics later on, but I couldn't find it quickly. Hmm. Uh, the next song is Confusion is Next. This is apparently Sonic Youth's take on hardcore. Uh, <laughs> it contains the, the refrain Sonic Tooth, which ended up yeah. being the name of their publishing company. Uh, I read that the references to chaos and confusion were a nod to Henry Miller's Tropic of Capricorn, which Thurston was reading at the time. And then we go into Making the Nature Scene, which is probably the most famous song on the album. That one's also on that, uh, that compilation. This one has Bob Burt on drums. Bob had seen them play this live with Jim and told them he thought his approach to this track was groovier. So they invited him to Fun City to record it. He'd played a large role in developing this track. And here's from Kim's book. The lyrics came from walking past the hookers lined up on Grand Street. This one's cool. It's kind of like a, 
a noisy post-punk vibe. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's it's one of the ones that... I mean, none of the songs are catchy, but it's one of the ones that has something more of a, a hook, I suppose. And then the last song is Leah's Free. This was recorded at Lee's Place on a cassette. Here's Stevie Chick from his book, A Passage of Freeform Guitar Play Ronaldo Recorded at Home, Plucking Strands of Weird Neon Light from the Air Around Him. It's a pretty interesting song, kind of like a tape collage thing. Yeah, I've read that it was like a tape loop type thing, right? It's funny that, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go back to this record, but I won't be as reluctant to do so, I suppose. Yeah, I guess the best thing I could say about this album is it made me listen to some other Sonic Youth albums. Like, I went through a real Sonic Youth phase that kind of peaked with the album Washing Machine, which I listened to every day for a year when it came out. (laughs) And uh, I don't go back to them as much, but I did this week. I listened to a whole bunch of Sonic Youth. I'm kind of in kind of going through a little bit of a sonic youth phase right now. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. The other thing too, I mean, you mentioned about how they they obviously progressed from this era of sonic youth, but even on their later records, you can hear elements of some of the sounds that they're developing on this record, you know? Yeah. Weird little guitar chiming sounds, those types of little sonic youthisms this is where they started it, right? Yeah. And so it, it's good for that reason, too. It is, yeah. Here's a couple quick reviews that I found. Trouser Press called it an oral root canal. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> and a zine called Flesh and Bones that I think I mentioned last week, actually, on the Dos Domin episode. I think that was a New Jersey zine. Referred to this as piles of raw hamburger meat bleeding on the turntable. <laughs> <laughs> It's what you'll hear when you take the final elevator ride to hell. Nice. What's the name of that zine again? Flesh and Bones. Right. And some of these tracks we'll be hearing live versions of way later when we get to SST 181, which is the Sonic Death early Sonic live album that Thurston originally released on Ecstatic Peace, which SST reissued way later. I found a cool thing about the artwork So supposedly Thurston was like sitting on a couch or whatever, flipping through a magazine and Kim was sketching him in profile. And that's what you see on the cover of this. They'd used it to advertise uh, their first show as Sonic Youth, this image. And Thurston scrawled the title across it. uh, And then they had the cover photocopied several times for proper effect. But obviously when Kim doodled it, it wasn't meant to be used for anything. She just kind of sketched it on a piece of paper. Yeah, it was definitely intended to look like a hardcore 7-inch cover, right? Yeah. And the the photos inside, too, are like super Xeroxed, you know? I never realized it until this week, looking at the inside, that one photo of Thurston just screaming into the mic. It's like, oh yeah, you can tell what their inspiration was at this time. That photo, they crumpled it up. That's why it looks like that. Nice. And there's a poster inside of here with like two young kids, kind of a Thurston and Kim looking couple. Yep. More Kim than Thurston looking. Yeah. The, the dude in the poster kind of looks like a Ken doll. Yeah, kind of. There's some dead wax on the neutral and the SST versions. Yes. Here's the neutral one, side A, white noise with a beat. 
<laughs> side B, confusion is sex. Kill your idols. Ah, yes. SST, side A, birth of John Spencer or what? That's interesting. Yeah. In 87. Yeah. Pussy galore. Yeah, interesting. Uh, side B, neutral, Zenzer, LGW. Rip us off. You need to. Whatever that means. That's confusion of sex, man. Yeah, interesting record. Ready for the ballot result? Yeah. Ballot result. This one's all you, man. Well, the obviously obvious one would be making the nature scene. But uh, I actually liked The World Looks Red, and I liked Inhuman. Ah, interesting. I probably would have went for She's in a Bad Mood. That one's good, actually. too. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's the first track. Let's and do I that listen. one. You know, that one's cool. Thurston kind of starts it. He sings the verse in like a, his lower register, and then he goes up an octave for the second verse. Yeah. verse. It's cool. Wait a second. Am I picking the ballot result for a Sonic Youth record? I think you just did. <laughs> oh, oh my god that was that, my, that was my way of tricking you into, into yeah. picking it nice that's not going to happen two weeks in a row trust me on that <laughs> actually I'm going to listen to Washing Machine after this episode and then I'll start on the self-titled EP yeah. now you're talking Ryan what's next week well we gave it away a few times during the episode but SST97 is the self-titled Sonic Youth EP. So we're going to go back in time after Confusion is Sex, back in New York, originally released on Neutral as well. We're going to get Sonic. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.